We're having fun and learning right here at the Cincinnati Museum Center. This is Bill. How can I answer all your questions? Welcome to Meanwhile at the Museum, the official podcast of Cincinnati Museum Center, where we take you behind the scenes, into the collections, and all the places where museum visitors don't normally get to go. So if you've not already picked up on it, we're here with Bill Stringer, who is a, a bundle of energy. Just that I am. You you ooze uh, optimism. You ooze good feelings, good vibes. I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I like to think I do. I feel like you could bottle it. Ooh, I should sell that. <laughs> a Craigslist Etsy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Etsy, if you put it in an artisan bottle. There you go. All right, so Bill, let's back it up a little. What is... Please. Bill Stringer, what is your exact title? Because my joke Mm -hmm. for everyone is you either know what someone does or you know what their title is, but you never know both. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, My title has changed a lot in the last four or five years, 12 years. Um, I'm currently the assistant manager of museum engagement. Uh, I was coordinator of museum engagement two months ago and a couple years ago, coordinator of shows and interpretations and before that. Who knows? Constantly changing. So what is, what does an assistant manager of museum engagement do? So we spend a lot of time on the floor helping run things, answering calls when something happens at a museum. We're looking for a kid. Someone has a question. Someone wants to talk to someone. We're normally the first people to arrive. Same thing with lost items. I need to get transported to other parts of the museum. But beyond that, we also write some of the programming we do trainings for all of the floor staff members as well as the adult volunteers on how to work in the museums as well as how to do performances uh one of my specialties is stage shows and animals as well as tabletop programming dance parties uh there's do you ever combine the dance parties with the tabletop programming? Do you do a? Ooh, I like that idea. Do you do a full Coyote Ugly show? I, what time? Unfortunately, is that? no. Uh, but we do. I definitely get involved in the dance parties. Uh, I personally like to juggle. We have some things that we let the kids play with, musical instruments. We have juggling scarves that I've put in there because they're large and colorful, perfect for juggling. Uh, that's always a fun spectacle, and kids will just stand there transfixed. And the older kids will actually teach them how to do it, and that's always a lot of fun, too. What's the craziest thing you've ever juggled, besides oh, multiple um, responsibilities here? So, funny question. Uh, the craziest thing I've ever juggled is I used to do some circus tricks. So, I've actually been on stilts, juggling scarves while fire-breathing onto the scarves, and caught them on fire and juggled flaming scarves. Because I used to do all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> what? I'm serious. I still have okay. those stilts. All right. So uh, they're jumping stilts. Actually, they're designed for running. What makes jump? What makes them jumping stilts? Do they have blades? Actually, um, oh, like, uh, like like U-shaped. Olympic runners. Yeah, exactly. Like those uh, prosthetic legs. Only they are stilts, so that goes below my feet. It gives me about an extra foot and a half, two feet of length. But every time you step, it's like having a trampoline on your foot propels you forward. Uh, when I used to live in Florida, I once ran, like, just to see how fast I was with one of those police things. And I got about 30 miles per hour Are you running wearing those stilts. It was terrifying. You Full safety gear. <laughs> so far, fastest museum, mm-hmm. fastest man in the museum. And I think this is going to be a recurring question. I'm just going to ask Please. people how fast they can run. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 
Uh, well, again, with the still, it's pretty fast. Uh, you don't need to qualify. You just look. <laughs> so, were you in a were you in a carnival? Were you in a circus? Where uh, were you performing these things? That's a great question. Um, no, I was never in an official carnival or circus, but I did uh, for a while in high school. I did some clowning. Um, in middle school, also, I did some birthday parties. Um, I briefly worked for the party city where I did balloon work and that led into me doing balloon animals and doing balloon animals led into me doing clown stuff for, uh, birthday parties and carnivals like local church carnivals and things. And I just kind of escalated from there. I tried doing the stilts for a while and then I, I did some fire breathing, which was a lot of fun, but I decided I preferred beards over fire breathing and you can't have both. (laughs) So, all right. I think I feel like we've touched on just a fraction a of bit. your life and your experience, and it is. I have so many questions. Great, I got the time. Let's do it. Did you give up fire breathing because you really wanted a beard? Is that well? Was, I, was there a direct correlation? I actually had to shave my beard in order to do it because I wasn't going to risk that. And it is one of the things when you're learning. They're like, yeah, if you've got facial hair, just <laughs> get rid of it. It's not worth it. Last thing you want to do is be in the middle of a trick and realize your face is on fire. Wow. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, just relatively easy. Honestly, there's a lot of classes online of how to do it, and I just kind of taught myself. And you taught yourself? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Wow. This was uh, pre YouTube, actually. So I, I just found some like uh, circus training websites back then. And did did you have an official clown name when you were doing parties and stuff? Oh man, if I did, I don't remember it. Oh. Um, I had a stage name though. Was it Bill the Thrill? Uh, I wish it was. No, it wasn't nearly that cool. I was Liam Fredericks. And the reason is I am William Frederick Stringer. And if you take the last four letters of my last name, my middle name, and the first letter of my last name and just cut it out, Liam Fredericks. So that was my theatrical name, if you would call it that. That's great. (laughs) Have you resurrected it at all? I I think I used it for my dating profile before I got married. Really? Oh yeah, that's about it though. But we've seen you in a lot uh, in a lot of costumes here oh, sure. at the museum. You've never been Liam Fredrickson. Um, so I have done some stilt work and balloon work here, but I didn't change. I was still Mr. Bill, and I've been Mr. Bill for a long time. That's normally my persona now. Um, that's what most of the kids call me when I introduce myself in shows. It's Mr. Bill. Um, but yes, I have done some of that here. I have done stilts in the museum. Unfortunately, my jumping stilts are very old, and the rubber basings on the bottom of them have worn off completely. So it's now just a flat metal piece down there, and I haven't replaced it, which means if I'm walking on carpet, I'm good. The second I step on tile or a flat, polished surface, I'm done. I'm on the floor. It's not going to happen. Can you can you take stilts to a cobbler? Who, who um, repairs stilts? Well, I mean, Technically, they're, they're footwear, so they a cobbler are. should be able or, or do you need... Uh, do you need an elf to do that? I wish. Uh, I need a thick, custom-made piece of rubber, and I'm pretty sure the manufacturer of these stilts doesn't even exist anymore. So who knows where I'd find one? But you look like someone, and don't. I, I hope this is, is a compliment because <laughs> it should be. You look like someone who would know where to find an elf guild. Oh, sure. I mean. If we're talking fantasy, absolutely. <laughs> I could, uh, I, I do know that in this area we have a couple of like live action role playing guilds, Dagahirs nearby, and I'm pretty sure the crazy Viking people are near here too. 
Um, Have you ever been involved in any of those groups? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Really? Um, Daggy here for a while. Um, I used to get really into boffering. What does that mean? Boffering is full body, full contact, sword, shield, axes, combat. It's kind of like LARPing, but you're not role playing. You're literally just hitting each other with sticks with rules. Uh, but we would play all sorts of crazy combat games. Um, I used to be had a really big shield. We called it the table shield because it was about three feet in every direction, perfectly round, made of wood, and then reinforced with foam and things. So if people got hit with it, it wouldn't you know knock them out immediately. Eventually, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely took some hard hits and concussions from that. But um, what was your other weapon of choice? So you had I, I was a, I was so I would use my shield and I had a sword, a pretty long one because I'm a, I'm a big guy. If anyone's ever seen me, and I used to have a spearman whose name was Amato, who he would stand behind me and he would spear over my shoulder. So we were a tag team, um, and we did shield lines and stuff. But I always had Amato over my shoulder. This uh, is amazing. Yeah, it's... we were we were a pretty fierce team. Yeah, we we have to get to the crazy stuff. Please, but just real quick. How long have you been? With Cincinnati Museum Center. When did you start? So I moved to Cincinnati in 2012, and I had applied to the Museum Center because before coming here, I had already worked at a children's museum in Florida for about seven, six years, somewhere in there. And so I put in my application, didn't hear anything back, started literally moving here. I was in the car on the drive here when I got a phone call from uh, Aaron McCandless, who still works here. Uh, inviting me for an interview. So I got the interview call while I was on my way to Cincinnati. And I've been here ever since. I remember this was a handful of years ago. We were doing a program here. You were doing a program yeah. uh, in which you were helping kids make their own lightsaber. It was probably when we had yes. the um, Star Wars, The Power of Costume. Yeah, that exhibit. and even before that, I did that program. And I, we, uh, Bob Herzog from Channel 12, yep. huge Star Wars fan. Yep. He was like, can you guys come in and do this program? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, let me get Bill for yep. you. And typically, if if I'm having someone do an interview, um, I want to make sure, hey, are you comfortable? Do you know Do you know uh, what's going to happen? Do you know what's going to be expected of you, all this stuff? And you yeah. were just, I've never seen you flustered. You're, you're just always calm and cool. You're right. like, yep, no problem, got it. And they rolled, and I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> Bill's incredible. Like, Thank you. You put on a show. Yeah. And I was it, afterwards, I was like, Bill. And you go, I used to do this all the time in Florida. Yeah, and like, all the time. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, it, I've, I've been on TV shows. Uh, I've done performances on TV. I actually used to, at a back when I was working at the museum, I started a program where I would go to the local children's hospital, which the children's hospital in St. Petersburg, it's amazing. It's huge. It's state of the art, world famous. And I would go monthly, and I would do animal shows for everyone. Uh, uh, they, they would actually, actually broadcast, broadcast me on the, on the TV, TV, and, and I, would I would go, go throughout the whole hospital. And people would be able to watch the show, and they could phone in, and I would answer questions live um, for all the kids. And I did this every month. And I had some kids who were there all the time. Like, I saw the same kids for years sometimes. And it was great. I, I loved doing it. So that was where a lot of that came from. And that was just part of it. Um, I also was on a children's TV show for a while in Florida. Um, that was called Rummy and Friends. And I played a purple dog with French fries for hair named nice. Paddle. Paddle the dog. It was wild. 
So were were you on all fours? Or were you a stand up dog? I was. Like, I was a stand up dog. I was in like a full Rolf from uh, Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm pretty sure Rolf is just a Muppet, isn't he? Yeah, but he stay, you know he walks on sure. back legs, right? Okay. Yeah. No, this was. Um, I couldn't full mascot of... suit. Uh, full full costumed mascot suit. I was one of two. Um, I was the dog, and there was also the main character, Rummy, who was a parrot. So big blue parrot, and then big purple dog. And then we had my co-hosts were Captain Dave, who ran the show, and his daughter, Hannah Banana. And they were the hosts of the show while we were the costume characters. That was a wild ride. I could spend the whole time talking just about that and the crazy stuff that we had happen. But <laughs> All right. Let's let's shift from that show sure. uh, to the shows here. So yeah. program, you, you said uh, you write some of the programs as I well. Do. Yep. Uh, give us an example uh, of a couple of programs that you've written. Sure. Maybe, maybe your, your favorites in there, too. Hmm. So for a while, we had the team split into what you were doing and how you were performing the educational things you were writing. And the shows and interpretations team were in charge of anytime anyone was in a costume and anytime anyone was up on a stage. So I got to write a lot of the stage shows that we used to perform. And I have a couple. I'm going to give one for history and then one for natural history. That were my favorites. Um, in natural history, we actually used to do a full-on play. Um, in front of the Queen of the West, which is our large steamboat we have down in the History Museum, I would come out as the, what was my name? I was, uh, you know, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he was the clerk of the Queen of the West, and he was an actual person who we had a diary for, and we had his notes from work, and we wrote his whole story based off of the things that happened to him. And we kind of created a typical day in the life of this guy. And I would be out in costume and I would talk, I would read the notes from the book and then we would act out a small scene. And then while I was writing, reading the next section, my coworker, my co-star would run in the back, change costume, become the next character and then run out. So it was for two person show, but they played like seven people. And there was a castaway. With full Eddie Murphy, Nutty Professor. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Uh, they played from a immigrant woman who was coming to Cincinnati to meet her husband with a child. Uh, they played a coal shoveler who was getting fired because they had caught him stealing from the passengers. And if you do come to the Cincinnati Museum Center and you go into the History Museum, down on the Queen of the West, you can actually see a small box of valuables tucked away over by the coal. And that's the reason that's there is because he was actually stealing things from guests, things like watches, uh, pocket watches, uh, notes, anything valuable, tucking them in a box and hiding it in the coal. And, and that this, was a real thing that happened. Yeah, because yeah, because this show was you wrote this and you based this all off of um first person resources that's right yeah you did research it's not like you just and i was one of a few people working on the show like i didn't write the whole thing myself but um i only wrote pieces of it but it was it was a very very cool show and i I miss doing that because we'd actually have multiple costume characters and we would set up an actual audience and we would it was like we were performing at a play uh for natural history though we had several that I really liked. Um, one of the shows that I wrote was a physics show, and the concept of this show was that I had just been, whoever was presenting, had just been accepted into a magic school, kind of like Hogwarts. I think we called it Fizzle Pops. 
and we had a uh, they had just been accepted, but they had to pass a test. In order to pass a test, they had to cast several spells. And we had the person say, well, I don't know any magic. I can't cast spells, but I do know science. So I'm going to use physics to recreate the effects of the spells and see if I can get into school that way. And that's how we ran the show. So it would be like, you have to cast a spell of a fireball. And so we would do that. We'd create the fireball using uh, science and physics and explain what was happening. And then the magic would twinkle in and say, you did it. Congratulations. And that show was a blast. I also did one where I got to film being a supervillain who was trying coming up with these evil plans that were really bad. They didn't work. And the hero was just an electrician, just a regular guy who understood how electricity worked and would foil the plans of the supervillain by just knowing how to be an electrician. And that one was a lot of fun. I remember you filming uh, audio for that. Yep. And... In Mitch's beat laboratory, in the the quote unquote uh, soundproof yeah. office, and my desk was probably ten feet away. You heard her laughing. I could hear it all, and I was like, "What is happening in there?" I had no idea, no context. Yep. And then one day, I finally saw it on the on the science stage. I was like, "This makes so much." Yeah, more sense it was now. wild. But it was it was very entertaining to to listen to. And if that had never, if that, unfortunately, COVID killed that department. If it hadn't, the one that I was currently working on is we were going to be doing a show that was going to be a chemistry show that had a giant monster, Godzilla-style, attacking the city. And I had a coworker who was just over five feet tall, and we were going to have her in a Godzilla costume in the model of Cincinnati oh, yes. filmed for us, like coming up out of the thing. And we were going to have to come up, use chemistry to defeat the monster and save Cincinnati. And, oh man, I'm so, it's really sad. We never got to film that because it would have been a blast. That's, that's awesome. They, because that's people come to the museum and they understand it's a museum. It's educational. They're going to learn something, but they, they come to have fun also. Yeah. And so what you're doing is you're just, you're taking all these things uh, and you're making them fun. You're adding theatricality into it. You're uh, adding some silliness into it that, that they don't get in the classroom all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But more importantly, do you have a favorite Harry Potter character? Uh, I do actually have a favorite Harry Potter character. Uh, it's Mad-Eye Moody. Um, I actually used to, back before the movies came out, um, I think the first or second movie had come out, but we hadn't seen Mad-Eye Moody in theaters yet. I made a costume and I'd go to some of the movie releases and I might've still been in high school, maybe just started college. I'm not really sure, but I do have some images of my Mad-Eye Moody costume, which involved a goggle monocle piece with a couple of refracting lenses on it. And it was really cool. And then the actual one came out and I'm like, Oh man, I look nothing like that guy. But I look back and mine was still very cool. So, um, you you mentioned college, which yeah. made me realize what what did you study in college that got you to this point? So actually, this is a very interesting story that involves museums. Um, I was actually in theater, and I ended up getting my job in a museum for the first time, just out of the blue. I literally received a phone call, and the person on the other line said, "Hi, I work at the local children's museum. Would you like a job?" I'm like, oh, what? And they brought me in gave me an interview and said, yeah, you're hired. What had happened was the lady had been talking with one of my professors and she had told her that 
they wanted to hire a someone to do science. They wanted to hire someone to do production stage shows where they could explain science. And so they were looking for a scientist, but they were charging or they were going to pay them like 50 cents over minimum wage. So every scientist or anyone who was a teacher said, absolutely not. And my professor said, well, why don't you hire a, a actor? And they're like, yeah, no, that makes sense. And she explained like, well, if you hire an actor, you only have to have a script. They can memorize any of the information. So they'll be able to um, answer any questions that the people ask about it. And they're really good at improv. So if something comes up, they'll be able to figure it out on the fly. And she gave her my phone number and said, talk to this guy. This guy would be perfect. So I ended up getting to the museums completely out of the blue. It just kind of fell into my lap. I never applied. I just ended up working at one. And I have never looked back. It's been great. I've been able to use that acting experience for a lot of different programs and things in the museum. That's that's a really good point because it a lot of teachers aren't necessarily scientists either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is not to besmirch the good name of of any educators, but of course, uh, you know, a lot of times they are bringing that advanced critical thinking and questioning skills and uh, and research skill into that topic and then carrying that on to students. And that's essentially what actors, you know, what you were doing as an actor as well yep. is. You were, I'm sure at some points you were looking at the scripts and you're learning mm-hmm. as you're reading the script as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I was able to easily convert that in. I went and I watched, I think after my interview, I went in and I saw one of their stage shows and they had this guy who taught me everything he knew. But I watched his stage show and he's like, okay, I mean, after you watch it like five or six more times, you'll probably be comfortable and ready to do it. And I'm like, I could do it right now. He's like, really? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, let me go try it. And I went up there and I performed the entire show. It was a chemistry show. And, uh, we did 15 to 20 minute shows and this guy's jaw was on the floor. (laughs) You know, I'm not trying to toot my own torn, but he was amazed at how quickly I was able to pick it up. And it was just a blast. We had a really good time. Um, I just funneled my, enjoying working with kids. I'd already done a lot of teaching because I had been teaching kids acting at the time I was going to a local high school and helping with some of the theatrical stuff. So I was already in on teaching. So that part was easy. I just had to figure out what we were teaching and boom, I was, I was in. In addition to that. Yeah. Um, and you've told us every single like amazing aspect of working in a museum. Sure. Pretty much. I mean, every, everyone should want to be Bill for a day, right? <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. And and later we'll we'll come back to that. But yeah. uh, but there's also the you know some of the mundane as well. Mm-hmm. You you said kind of um, you know retrieving lost items and things like that. Oh which yeah, I mean we clean at the end of the day. I walked into Lost and Found last week mm-hmm. for the first time ever. It's crazy. They're like, isn't you it? can just go in that room, and I'm like, what's in this room? Like, oh, it's Lost and Found and stuff like that. It's like we could open a sunglass hut. There were so oh, yeah. many sunglasses in there that mm-hmm. it's – I feel like we're at Kings Island and we're just collecting baseball hats or something. Yeah. There were so many sunglasses. What's the – I bring up two or three pairs a day easily. Like, what's the strangest thing you've ever found and, and had oh, to return man. to Lost and Found? I don't know if I can talk about it on here. <laughs> um, we've had a few things that are non, not even legal that we've had to br- bring up there. Um, I'm trying to think. Museums attract all sorts. We, they really do. Um, 
one of the things about the woods is kids who are under eight are supposed to have an adult while they run through that exhibit, especially when they're crawling through the tunnels. And we'll have adults crawl through there, and it's really easy to have stuff fall out of your pockets while you're crawling through a tunnel. So we find all sorts of stuff up there. Have you ever had a um, an adult get stuck in the woods? I mean, I've been, I've personally been stuck in the woods, but that's a different story. I, you, um, I always see parents. The tunnel's not so much, but we do have a climbing area in there. What we call the Swiss cheese, oh, yeah. where you can go up. And I got stuck in there once, and I've seen people stuck in there. When I first started here, I thought, "Oh, I can do this. I'm young." I'm, and I got very stuck. I was in there for at least forty-five minutes. I slowly worked my way out, and I was uh, dating my wife at the time now, Stephanie, and she was so upset that I was stuck in there that she, she like, had to abandon me. She couldn't stay there, so she ran away to, like, <laughs> center herself while I'm stuck, so that was that was funny. I'm freaking out. You figure it out. I yeah, go. she couldn't handle it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> All right, so what's the strangest question a guest has oh, asked boy. you? Because I have a lot and they they grab you. Mm -hmm. And not only are they, I'm sure, asking questions about what they're standing in front of. But so I've had a lot of crazy questions. Um, There's the one that immediately pops to my head. A long time ago uh, in the Children's Museum, I had a woman come up to me and there is a case that has a bunch of animals in it. And it had uh, the bones case. So it was all animal skeletons. And in there we have a gibbon, and the gibbon is holding onto a piece of wood. And the woman walked up to me and said, you know, what, what, what is that? And I said, oh, well, that's a gibbon. And she said, well, what does a person have, what disease does a person have to have for us to call them a gibbon? She thought the word gibbon was synonymous with, like, leper. So she thought that was a human being that we put in the case and put on display that had some kind of deformity. And she didn't believe me when I told her it was an animal. She said, look at the skull. It's definitely a, a person. So that was fun. What? <laughs> Not even the wildest. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And how do you how do you react? How do you keep uh, a straight face? Being an actor helps with keeping a straight face. Let me tell you, we used to do that all the time. And one of our things we would do is we would have someone sit in the hot seat and everyone would try to make them laugh. And you just had to keep a straight face. And I was very good at it. I would teach people how to play that game. Which is really funny because you laugh all the time. Oh, I do. I, yeah. I see you walk. I could see you from a distance in the mm-hmm. rotunda or across the museum. And you're, you have the biggest smile on your mm-hmm. face. You look like you could laugh in an instant. <laughs> but you're really good at, at not breaking. Oh, incredibly good. Yeah. No, um, so I used to do this thing. And I'll, I'll do it now, but no one will see it. I, I put my hand in front of my face. And I go completely straight-faced, and I don't have any emotion, and I can just stare at people and not laugh. And I was very good at it. And I would teach people that. And it was kind of a you know on-off thing. And then I would pull my hand in front of my face and go back to my normal happy self. And it was you know just like switch. I don't know why I can do it, but I've always been able to. That's amazing. Yeah. That was, for me... You look completely different. You look like a different person. I do, yeah. That's because... I love playing villains because it's so different than what I am. Yeah. So when I do that and I have this straight face, like, I legitimately look scary. And, and people have called you America's <laughs> sweetheart, so that is, yeah. <laughs> well, that is a departure. Yes. And, no, I've actually had multiple times we'd have someone work here, and, and uh, I've had people say to, uh, to co-workers, like, man, I'm, I'm kind of scared to talk to Bill. 
until they do. And then they're like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> He's not scary at all. But uh, And I scare kids a bit, too, because I'm a very large person. I'm six foot five, weigh a whole lot. And I will like to get down on their level with kids, and it does help a lot if I'm... I found that if I hold my arms forward and I get down lower, I become significantly less intimidating. I, I would have to think, as a kid... Did you have to be one of those camps? You have to be like, oh my god, that's the biggest person I've ever seen. I'm yeah. freaking out. Or I've met a real life giant today. Yeah. Because you, you're <laughs> six five. I'm six five. Yeah. I was gonna ask. We've not been asking people's vitals. Sure. Yeah. But I think we might start. <laughs> you want crazy story about that? Yeah. Um, I up until about six months ago, I was absolutely by far the tallest person who worked in this building. No questions asked. Wait a minute. How do you know this? <laughs> oh, it was easy. I like. I just was. I was absolutely the tallest person you, here. You sit in staff meetings. You're like I'm taller than that person. Taller I mean, I, it wasn't really something I thought about. It's just it was obvious. Like I was like, the tallest person here. You're like I don't know about them, and so yeah. afterwards, you're like, hi, how are you? Can you how, stand how up so I can you? shake your hand? That's <laughs> okay. Good. Well, here's the thing. Uh, about six months ago, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden we just started hiring tall people. I am. That's, I went from being the tallest person by a lot, like no one was within three or four inches of me. Um, after uh, this guy left a while back, I think Dan used to be taller than me, but he hasn't been here for a while. Um, all of a sudden, now I am number five. There are four people in this building that are taller than me. Are they really? There are. Yes. <laughs> Where do they hide? Uh, I mean, one of them's on my team. Uh, the rotunda is huge. So if yeah. you're if you're Nate something. out in the rotunda. He's a good two inches taller than me. Is he really? Easily, yeah. Oh, my god! I've got a guy in engineering. He's got six inches on me. I, I have a feeling he has to duck under doors. This, I love that this is a an interesting... To me, it's just like, funny because... <laughs> like, oh, I'm really so tall. Oh, I, oh, am I tall, though? <laughs> See, my thing is, if, if I get bored in meetings yeah. or something, I will sit and I'll count lights. I don't know why. Uh, I did, I've <laughs> always done this in school. I'll just count lights. But you double-check this... They're only two. They're two. Yeah, I saw that. But you double check how I, I, I like a, a world in which Bill is walking into a room, sizing people up, and like, all right, is that something I've really thought about? But when you're as tall as I am, you don't meet a lot of people who are taller than yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I actually I noticed a person today who is taller than me who walked in because it was a lady, and I don't meet a lot of ladies who are taller than me. So I just was like, oh, neat. Is there <laughs> is there a tall people um association yes there is is are you part of it i am i am officially no i am not actually a member but i can't i could be a member um i only qualify by about an inch i think you have to be six foot four and i'm about six five so i'm not even i would be one of the shortest people in the organization if i joined wow yeah that's like when you when you're smart in high school and then you go to college and suddenly you're surrounded by all the yep. smart people like you join the tall people guild What's it? What's it called? I'm honest. I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've looked it up. Um, I remember seeing something about it, and I, I was like, "Oh, I gotta look into that." And I did. And on the website, they had a picture of one of the meetings. It was it was wild to see that many people, t- tall people in a single room. You're you walk in there at six five, and people are like, "Look at this, look at this, look at this shorty." <laughs> they stand next to you. They put their elbow on your head. Oh, and because you know I'm a I'm not a ducker, and I never have been, which is what I call people who can't go under doors without ducking their head. Um, I think that guy in engineering. I'm pretty sure he's a ducker. I'm gonna have to keep an eye out for this. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's <laughs> kind of one on a tangent there with no, all people. That's, that's a great tangent. So. You've been here 
11 years. Yes. Right. Was your first time walking in this building when you were hired? Mm-hmm. Did, coming in, fill out, fill out paperwork day one. That Was that your first time in the building? So I got, I figured out what my interview was and I thought, okay, I need to go check this place out because it wasn't for like a week. So I just came in one day to like walk around and I remember as we were pulling up and I was looking at it and I'm like, first thought in my brain is that's the hall of justice. Uh, and it, it is, and everyone knows that story uh, that works here for sure. But I was really excited by that, and I went in, and it this building blew me away. It's phenomenal. Um, I originally moved to the city for a girl, uh, and that didn't work out, but I stayed for this building. Um, and I met my current wife here, and it's been wonderful. And I love this place. So, Okay, so now I think you spoiled the answer. Oh, did I? Um, but... What do you have a favorite memory um, since I'm using there besides meeting meeting your wife? Well, which is here's a, the problem. I also got married here. Oh my gosh! So it'd be hard for me not to say that. Yeah. Uh, I've also been married in the building. You were married in the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yep. Where at? So the actual ceremony was in was in um, not Los Antoville, the Cincinnati, Cincinnati dining, dining room. room, and then the reception was in Los Antoville. So it was a blast. It was really great. And at the time, wait a minute. Yeah, I rem- I'm remembering this now. When the lightsabers. Was- yes. Mm-hmm. You you didn't have a first dance. We did, oh. but halfway through the first dance, my groomsmen came in with red lightsabers. The DJ threw me and Stephanie our lightsabers and started playing Duel of the Fates, and we fought off the groomsmen together as a team. That's and that incredible. was our that was our opening welcome to our wedding reception. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was a blast. Remembering this now, mm-hmm. that's so cool. And that was actually during Bug Fest too, which is another thing we used to do here. So I actually did you have a, did you have I uh, I did dip I had a chocolate dipped the... scorpion the day I got married. <laughs> yep. Was it part of? Was it just previous in the day? Were you like let's it was wheel that in for the reception? Yeah, because we had been scorpion. there pretty early, and I was here with all the groomsmen, and we were walking around. And I'm like, oh guys, you gotta check out Bug Fest. Um, one of the guys ended up buying a couple pounds of cricket flour. <laughs> it was great. That's amazing. Wow. That's so cool. All right. So uh, aside from mm-hmm. being your wife and getting married here, mm-hmm. those are both, both <laughs> gimmies. Of right. course. Of course. Uh, Let's you, see. Do you have a favorite experience or a favorite interaction? And we've had so much crazy stuff happen here over the years. I'm pretty sure we had... I know we've had Santa Claus come in on a helicopter. I want to say one year we had, maybe it wasn't Santa, but it might have been, who came down on a parachute and landed in the parking lot. That was pretty crazy. Um, I know we've had the Caving Association come in and bring, they've actually had a dog attached to a rope Mm -hmm. and brought the dog like up to the ceiling in the rotunda. And for those that don't know, that's 106 feet up to the ceiling. It's it was crazy to see that, and the dog was just super happy about it, just chilling out, just chilling. I actually ran into the people who did that recently. I was talking to them about did it. You? They were here in the museum. We ended up just casually coming up on that conversation. We we did an interview once. Uh, we had an Omnimax film, National Parks Adventure. Yep. And we had Rachel Pohl from the mil- from the film come in, Great film, uh, and she was going to rappel down the front of the building. Yes. And we did an interview, a live interview. That morning, like 6 a.m., 5 a.m., um, and had her rigged up in the rotunda to repel. So mm-hmm. she's in the rotunda just, like, zipping up and down. And the reporter, I was like, you want to get up there? Would you do this interview, like, 
on a rope hanging from the rotunda. And she said, yes. And she showed up. And she goes, That's amazing. I can't believe I agreed to this. Was freaking out. And so Rachel's like way up. And she's like, come on up. And she's like, maybe we just do it down here. And so she's like <laughs> six, eight feet off the ground because oh, she's that's freaking great. out. And I'm like, we used to have a dog do this. Yeah. You can't do this. That's right. <laughs> Very cool. Oh, that's so wild. Yeah. Side story here. The way I was originally going to propose to my wife, Stephanie, actually involved a rope hanging from the ceiling in the rotunda. Uh, my original plan, I had talked to, at the time, the public safety director, who no longer here, but um, had rigged up where I was going to have a rope hanging from the ceiling in the middle of the day, a very thin one, and call her up like, hey, there's this rope here, I don't know what's going on, can you hold this while I run over and like figure out what's going on with security? And have her grab the rope, and I was going to have them drop the ring down the rope from the ceiling, and like it hit her on the hand, and be like, what's this? And then, you know, from there. Yeah. But then I realized... She would hate this. She would hate the spectacle. Yeah. It, she would. She doesn't want to be the center of attention, so it ended up being much more private. But that was my original plan. <laughs> that would have been so cool. It would have, but it wasn't for her, and I wanted to, you know, that was more me. And I wanted to make it something that she would appreciate, not just a big spectacle because I wanted to make a big spectacle. So it became more private and it was perfect. But she had to at least appreciate the the thought, right? Because, oh, and I've told her, yeah. Because there's so much that goes into that. For people, Absolutely. For people who don't know, that you, so you're talking about dropping a rope from the tip top of the rotunda yep. where... Up the, in the overcroft, the, yep. Where the flag is mm -hmm. suspended from. To do that, you have to walk across those arches yep. up in the high steel. Yep. It, had, it would have had to have been public safety because they're the only ones who would have been able to do some of this stuff. You to get have, up in the high steel, you've got to have... You have to go up six yep. six floors mm -hmm. and climb a ladder. Yep. And then you climb a few other steps. Plus a bunch of special permissions. Catwalk, yeah. Can't have anything that could fall off like a walkie-talkie or a cell phone because if you were to drop something, you could possibly damage the ceiling. Yeah. Which would be horrible. So... That, that's intricate. Yeah. It was. Yeah. That's great. It was. It was a cool idea, but I'm. I am glad I didn't do it because she wouldn't have appreciated it. This. See, we're learning so much about the, <laughs> not just about what you do, but yeah. I you you have such a high emotional intelligence, and which is thank you wonderful because you work with mm -hmm. with guests all the time, including a lot of kids. Uh, but you, I mean, you had this moment to do something that's so cool. Yep. Tell everyone about. Here's how I propose to my wife. Yep. But you said, hey. Wait a this second. Is, <laughs> this is this is her proposal. Yeah, it, I had to think about me. that. Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. We have you been up to High Steel? Have I have. Um, I mean, I've been here for a long time, but I've only been up there once, and it was really? before the historic restoration. Um, right before it, we had a big party, and they wanted to send people up who hadn't had a chance. So we went up there and got to walk around. It was very cool. I wasn't allowed to bring my cell phone, so I couldn't take any pictures. And they don't really do those tours anymore. It used to be something they would bring the public up with. We haven't done one in a while. However, recently we had an opportunity to send some of our youth volunteers up there. They were looking for people to do chaperoning. And I conceded to people who had never had a chance to do it because I wanted everyone who hadn't seen it to go check it out because it's very cool. It's another 40 feet about, it could be 30, 40, I'm kind of guesstimating here, of space above the ceiling in the rotunda and before you get to the roof. And that's the section we're talking about, that large steel frame, bowels of the building. Like, we're in the ribs of the building up yeah, there. It's it, crazy. It's, it's just exposed steel. It, looks, it is. It, it's very steampunky. Which I also love. 
do you, do you have a favorite space in the building? A favorite location? Mm. That's a tough one because I've been to a lot of areas. Um, when I was writing some of the emergency egress for the building, I was writing a emergency plan for how to escape from anywhere in the building. What was your emergency exit where you'd have to go? So I got to go into places that I had never been before. And there's a section of the building that is untouched to time. Um, it's backed by an elevator that's been there since the 30s. Um, and honestly, I think that like back hallway, and this is back behind, I want to say behind the Omnimax theater. Um, I, again, no reason for anyone to ever be back there. Everything covered in dust and just seeing like the original structure was really, really cool. Um, I think we found like a little duct back there and I pulled a candy wrapper from like 1935, 36 out. It was crazy. This so it was very cool. Because you're working at a time capsule. Yeah, it absolutely is. I used to work at the box office, and we had Friday and Saturday night Omnimax showings, and so mm-hmm. we'd be here um, you know, until 10, 10.30, whatever, uh, and they would dim the lights and kind of turn the lights down. And it feels like in that moment, if you are walking through the rotunda, you feel like you're in the 30s. For some yeah. for some reason, that, that time of night and the low lighting in there and how quiet it is, all of the modern aspects of the building the, you know the museums the Omnimax theater all that stuff's kind of mm-hmm. drift away you really feel like you're frozen in that moment it's, it's an amazing feeling yeah i agree the sound of of the building when you mm-hmm. walk into the rotunda and there are school groups coming oh, in yeah. like, what's that feeling like for you like do you do you light up do you feel like you know like you athletes walk into the walk into the plate, right. the bombing of the ninth or something like that, or you're walking out <laughs> of the field in the Super Bowl. Do you, are you I, I do like, still do you feel, feel like... that joy. I do. Um I don't know if I feel it as much as the little kids you walk in, because I gotta say, even today I was out there greeting people and these little kids came in here and they had to give their screeches. And their mom was trying to shush them and I'm like, it's okay. The echo in here is great. And she says they do this every time they come in, they just start screaming because they want to hear their own voice. And I say that's awesome. Because the echo and the feel, it's just it's just a cool feeling. There there was a little girl in here last week, it was mm-hmm. two, and she walked in, and she goes, It's the big meatball. Oh, I looking love looking up that. at the at the rotunda ceiling. <laughs> I'm like, I've never heard that before. The meatball, I and like I'm that. Looking, I'm like, I guess. I, I could see it a few different yep. ways. But she said it multiple times. That's great. For me, I look up there and I see Godzilla's eyeball turned sideways. <laughs> Uh, there's, a, That's great. we have a flyer and I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I have one at my desk where it's looking up at the rotunda, but it's turned sideways. So it almost looks like, you know, the angry eyelid across a big exposed eye and I've drawn a little pupil on it. But to me, it just looks like a giant monster eyeball. It's like a poster for the next Godzilla movie. <laughs> I always see, I, Every now and then you'll see people laying on the floor in the retirement taking yeah. pictures of it. I'm like, that's that's commitment. And they're, it is. They're all ages, too. People, mm-hmm. I mean, adults come in here and they just revert in age. It's so it's so cool because now the museum's been here. Uh, it's been in Union Terminal since 1990, so we're yep. 33 years. So think there are kids who came here when they were five or six Yeah. who now have kids who are 10, 12. Yeah, you know, some of them are whatever. adults, yeah. So they've, they've experienced it as a kid and now as a parent. So they get to sort of relive that experience. And that's yeah. what's really, really neat all about the, the building is now we're multi-generational. I mean, the museum's been in Cincinnati for 
for generations, for, for two centuries in, in some form. But in this building and in this iteration, we are now seeing generations overlap and reliving that experience. It's like, um, well, now it's like fashion now. How everyone from the, all the fashion from the 90s is back and people, people are looking at all of us. Old adults being like, oh, look, aren't these flared pants so cool? And we're like, <laughs> yeah, until it rains. Enjoy. Yeah, guys. enjoy but that. Yeah. Get your Jinko jeans. You heard it here first. Coming back <laughs> next year. I hope I can't wait to to timestamp this and trot this back out and see. <laughs> Bill's right. Yeah, Bill, Bill called it. Jinko jeans. They need to be at least two feet wide at the base. That that's what's coming next. I'm telling it, calling it right now. So, all right. I, I know we're we're getting close to wrapping up. Um, so I want to ask two questions. One, when you're LARPing, when you're sure. buffering. It was buffering. Buffering. Yeah, it was, they call the weapon a buffer. It is really foam wrapped stick. Okay. Your sword. Yeah. Are you ever a Viking? You. Oh, be we a... were a hundred percent the Viking Guild. Um, no questions asked. Uh, the organization I originally joined was called Way of the Sword or Watts, and it was because they had actually scouted us. Me and some friends started our own organization. It was called Stab, which is the St. Pete Tactical Association of Buffers. So I went from Stab. To Watts, eventually to, um, oh, what is it, Daggy here. But anyway, um, we when we first joined, it was mostly Japanese culture. They had a lot of samurai, and they would practice uh, like the way of the sword with the quick strikes with mm-hmm. their blades. And we come out here and, as full Vikings, and it was wild. It was, it was a blast. And the first time they fought us, at the end of the night, we had stories where they were you know sharing stories of the fights around a campfire and the big battle that we had fought was about it's about 300 people in this big massive field and it was also kind of in the woods and the guy who started the organization told a story about me and Amato he came out and he was explaining that uh he has these guys who I don't I don't know if they were supposed to be ninja or something but their idea was they thought they could run in and jump over our shield line and get behind us and this guy came with them and he, again, he started this organization years ago and he said he sent them in and he didn't expect much, but what he saw blew his mind because my buddy over my uh, shoulder, he saw them coming and he had a canister of flour. So he threw down the flour to create a smoke screen and he hit and I, I hit it with my shield to really, you know, spread it. And he said that he saw the guys run into the, into the flower and then he saw sword, sword, spear, spear stick out of the flower. And then the flower faded and all four of his guys were on the ground. And he said it was the wildest thing he had ever seen. And uh, you know, that was just kind of a <laughs> glimpse at the experiences we had doing that. It was a blast. But that's what everyone dreams about. Everyone's like, oh, who would win a fight? This yeah. or this or this. And you got to actually, we actually did it, yeah. lay it out. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Did you lose many fights? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, because, really? well, it's, it, it wasn't one-on-one. It was, you know, big, massive battles. And uh, we used to call them squirrels. Uh, the squirrels were the ones who would get behind the battle line, and they would come running up while you're distracted fighting another guy and whack you in the back. And that was, a, if you're in a big battle, you can't really keep track of everything. We had our own squirrels, you know, trying to keep an eye on the ones behind us. But you can't win every fight. <laughs> That was a blast. Loved if, it. If anyone's never seen Bill, we'll we'll post a picture. But <laughs> I mean, you see Bill, and Bill, you look like the dude yeah. who's like the whole all battle lines part, and you just walk forward. Yeah. And the the enemy is like, 
oh we, crap we don't now we're in trouble. Yeah. yeah like you you're the <laughs> yeah. you're the ringer and i was that guy for a while you know, of the ringer. yeah uh and, well i mean you know i look like that to you but when we go to those events there are some guys who are like in their on their off days they're they're working out bodybuilding and then on their like casual time they're out here in their full armor those guys are intimidating um, and they, some of them are pretty scary, but, uh, it was a blast. I love doing it. We had fun. There were also a lot of like younger guys who were like, Oh, we're going to go fight with swords. I'm in. It, yeah. They were scared of me. <laughs> I love that you follow that by, by your laugh. Of course. <laughs> well, I would, you know, we'd be in character too. Yeah. So we'd be out there, we'd be screaming and yelling and banging our shields. We were intimidating. I'm no uh, doubt. We do the face paint. Yeah. It was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. All right. I still do it at Renaissance festivals, but without really? the yeah, without the fighting, yeah, I do all the costumes. Oh and yeah, stuff. yeah, it's a blast. Oh, that's so cool. Carry on my wooden oh, my hammer and shield. <laughs> that's a we need to book a field trip. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of, I, I've done it for the museum. Have you? Uh, I have. Uh, we had a Viking oh, exhibit. Viking, yeah. Yeah, we had did a series of commercials where I went around Cincinnati in full Viking garb, and we did a. You know, coming soon, uh, Vikings are invading Cincinnati. Yes. And I remember at the end of the commercial, I just looking dead in the at the camera um, with, like, my serious face. And then I take a cheese coney and I shove it in my mouth and chew and while staring at the camera the whole time. Cheese all over your beard. Cheese yes. all over the beard. It was great. And yes. I, I still love that. And after I filmed that, people would be like, see me in the streets and be like, are you the Viking? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. But you had the you had the the braided beard and everything. Yes, for that. you went for it. Yeah, I, I I braided it a little bit. I my beard was a bit longer then. I even did a, a similar style where I like shaved the sides of my head and I put my hair up and in a braided knot. It was great. It was very cool. You looked great. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. So two questions. One, if there's one thing you could tell people or that you wanted yeah. people to know about uh, about your role here at the museum mm -hmm. or, or just about what goes on behind the scenes in a museum, what would that one thing be? Oh, man, there's so much. Um, there's a lot of meetings where we're trying to figure out what we're going to be doing, what we need to update. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we used to do that we have been trying to bring back. Um, as I'm sure everyone's aware, it's very different post-COVID, uh, the amount of staff that we have available to do things really limit some of the type of programming we do. So seeing that whole picture and being able to realize that, yes, we did used to do more, but now we're doing as much as we can with what we have is kind of where we're at. And we're trying, we've been trying to bring back as much of some of that older programming, including the costume characters. And recently we've actually had a shift on the floor where if anyone who's come to the Children's Museum recently would probably notice we're doing programming constantly in there now we've kind of rotated our focus so we will have someone in there doing a activity in the makerspace we'll have a dance party going all this stuff we're trying to get way more often including stage shows and costume characters coming soon we're working on some of that right now we're getting costumes together for people and figuring when they'll be able to be down there so it's all coming there's a there's a lot to do. I think there, there I is. think people get um, distracted sometimes with everything in the galleries, everything in the exhibits and stuff. That sometimes you miss that that programming, or you're you're surprised to see it, and you you're you're almost overwhelmed by the experience. But there's there's a lot to do. Yeah. Um, enough to, to keep coming back day after day, or, or mm -hmm. to visit multiple times. 
Um, but it is it's such a good uh, outlet. Yeah, you know, to to burn some energy to uh, to learn something new to just kind of explore in in Rome. Uh, but that's what that's what our staff really thrives on. Also, are those interactions with people and yeah. is having that that greater connection. If you could change roles uh, for a week with anyone in the museum, who would it be? Oh boy, ah, jeez. I don't know, honestly. Um, I really do love what I do. So let's see. I think after listening, everyone's going to want to be a Bill. I, I mean, I love that. <laughs> I, I really do love what I do. And I, fe- I I have done just about every job you can do in a museum. And I, it's not something I haven't really iterated. But before I worked here and when I worked at my museum in Florida – Every year, this was a very small museum, and every year they would have a meeting where they would get together and they would talk about what they could cut, and it was normally positions. And every time they cut someone's position and that person left, they would give me a new responsibility. (laughs) So one year they asked me to do the outreach programming, which is when I started doing this stuff with the children's um, hospital then one year they asked me to take over all of the programming and start being the main programming guy and they asked me to be the manager and then they asked me to do all of the animal resources stuff and keep track of the animals then they asked and it just kept getting piling on so by the time I left I actually had to I was also the hiring manager at the time so I had to hire and replace myself with I believe six people oh wow I think it was like two or three full-time jobs and three or four part-time jobs. And I think I also had to pull in a couple of volunteers to get the animal stuff in as well, all to replace what I had been doing. It was nuts. So I have done just about every role in a museum, and I love them all, honestly. It's it's a blast. Uh, but I, I do think I'm in a place where it's pretty strong. I'm doing what I'm doing. If I could choose one other person, maybe a program writer where they are actively working and writing the programs which we used to do here but has been recently kind of moved to another department i would love to go back and do that for a while um maybe go back into animal resources and run the animals for a while helping take care of them behind the scenes is always really cool i did that for years even floor manager director like i've been there i've done it all and it's a blast talking with you clearly it it comes through so uh, Bill, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, can't wait to talk to you again. If if you visit the Cincinnati Museum soon, you cannot miss Bill. Uh, and if you do miss <laughs> Bill, shame on you because, Bill, you're such a delight to just be in the presence of. Like, Thank you. Like I said, you just ooze energy and this enthusiasm, and people people should feed off that. So thank you, Bill. Can't wait to talk with you again. Thank you very much for having me.